with one another. And that's a, that's a gift. That's a blessing. So let's go to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, as you're turning there, um, let's just uh, just kind of get to the place in our heart tonight where just as the worship was, uh, you know, when you're listening to those songs and as we're singing those songs together, we're, we're really kind of declaring that, you know, our God is big. Our God is great. You know, when, when, when you look at the title of the sermon that I've titled tonight is Behold Our God, it's almost like something that's so magnificent, something so big and majestic that when you, you behold something and you just, you're taken back and you're like, you, your jaw drops and you're like, wow. I don't know if you've ever just laid your physical eyes on the Grand Canyon. It's one of those things. You behold the Grand Canyon. You don't just see it. People say it's just a big hole in the ground. No, you behold the, the Grand Canyon. It's a beautiful thing. We, we need to behold our God. He's a beautiful thing. He's our God. He's our friend. He's our king. He's great. And so this Psalm of David is an expression of that. So we're going to read through that. We're going to study through that. We're going to pull out some things that I think that God has for us with that. But first, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your greatness. God, I thank you of, of your bigness. God, your there's qualities about you, God, that we just don't have words to express. So, God, I pray that we can behold you today, tonight, God, as we look at your word, God. Teach us more about yourself. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your and all your servant all your saints shall bless you they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations the lord is faithful in all his works his words and kind in all his works the lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord uh, preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless 
His holy name forever and ever. Amen. That's good, that's good stuff right there. Behold our God. David, the psalmist here, he is, it's like he's beholding our God right here. He's, he's trying to, to, to reach for phrases to, to explain and to express how great God is. Tonight we're just going to look at Psalm 145. And we'll look at, look at this and how it can impact our worship. How it can impact our lives. And you think about people who behold God. People who've had a, a glimpse of God. People who've been touched by God. You know, my mind just tracks back through the, uh, the pages of Scripture. I think of Moses and how you know, he was able to behold God essentially on the mountain. You know, you think about Abraham when God led him out and he pointed out the stars. And he said, you see all these stars? Your descendants will outnumber these. Just, a, you know, something silly. I guess, it's, I guess it's something silly. I like it. It's something I do sometimes when I'm, you know, it's a clear night and it's a full moon. And maybe I've said this before. Sometimes I look at the moon and I, and I think there's at one point Abraham stood up one night and looked at that exact same moon. And he scratched his head and he looked at it and he beheld the, the heavens as it was stretched out, God's handiwork. And we look at that same moon when it's a full moon at night. There's people that we that we've they've gone on before us that have beheld God and His works. Think of Isaiah in the temple. Read Isaiah chapter six. The temple is filled with smoke. He beheld God's glory in the temple. God spoke to Ezekiel and upped him on his feet. Think of Daniel in Babylon, exiled, and he beheld the works, the wonders, the deeds of God in exile. What about Jonah in the belly of the fish? As he beheld God as he cried out to him. Think about Paul en route to Damascus. As he beheld the majesty of God and the glory of Jesus put Paul on his backside and says, why do you persecute me? Let's go all the way to the back of Scripture. You think of John the Revelator. I mean, there's things that he saw that he beheld. We, he just had a hard time putting them in words. And we have a hard time reading the words that he tried to come up with. And for, you know, ages gone by, people are just scratch their head when they read what he wrote as he beheld the majesty of God. You know, I think the psalmist is stretching out to us and saying, you need to, you need to gaze upon the majesty of the Lord. I think that's something that's good for us to do, to look at something like this psalm and just with, with our, you know, our, our jaws drop and say, wow, look at God, look at how big He is, look at how great He is. But let's kind of look at some of the background before we jump into the, some of this. And let me, let's give some of, the, uh, some of what's going on here. This, this psalm is an, uh, is, is an alphabetical uh, acrostic. What that means is sometimes the psalmist would take each letter in the alphabet and they would start the, the phrase, the line, with the... With A and B and C, that kind of thing. That's what David did here. And I love thinking about David sitting down thinking about God and as God was inspiring him to, to, to pen these words. And, and he's thinking about starting something with a certain, certain uh, letter. That kind of, I think it's just wonderful. It's just amazing to think about this. Sometimes, you know, the, people make fun of uh, preachers trying to do stuff like that. And alliterations like make every point start with P and every preacher points to people and with their pointer finger. and But see, that's kind of what David here, maybe that's where we, where pastors get that sometimes. So um, let's just, let's look at this uh, psalm and just understand a little bit more of what's going on here. Um, there's actually one letter that he missed. 
believe it or not. And I don't know if it's because he just decided, you know, I'm not going to make people think really hard about why I did that. Maybe I just want to do that on purpose just so people will be like, well, he's not really trying to make it a neat, poetic, it's got to have every letter in place. He just skipped one. Maybe it was on purpose. So we wouldn't focus on that. I don't know. Maybe he just couldn't find the appropriate word to start with that letter. Maybe he couldn't find a word that started with... I mean, it's not the English language that he used. I mean, I mean, come on, let's start. Let's, let's try to explain God with the letter X. I mean, it's kind of hard sometimes. That's okay. Because it's not about the letters. This is about our God. You know, um, when you look at this psalm, it's really to be considered one of the, the new songs. As, as, as the psalmist in 96.1 says, um, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm, this psalm does that. It stretches into us and it says there's something dazzling and spectacular in our God and just lift up your heart and your voice, something new. I think this is, uh, some, sometimes this psalm is considered one of David's like crown jewels of praise. It's the last psalm that David's name is associated with uh, and also the title, a psalm of praise is used. So this is one of the last time that a psalm of praise of David is used. The last time we get that in a psalm. And I think it's important. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's on purpose. This holy hymn is characterized by praise. There's really not any thanksgiving in here. There's really not any prayer in here. It's just praise. Set apart, I think, for that specific purpose. Much like Psalm 86 referred to as a prayer of David. It's magnificent in its beauty and it's breathtaking in its grandeur. We behold God as we behold this psalm. This psalm has a special blessing associated with it. According to ancient Israelites, they would uh, recite this psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening, believe it or not. And they said that the person who did this, they spouted these words out three times a day, they said this person would be happy. Now, I'm going to just encourage you to try it for the next month. Three times a day, read this out loud. You're not going to end your day going... <laughs> you just can't. And maybe that's why the Israelites took this and they just announced it, uh, you know, in the quietness of their heart, maybe even on their rooftops. And they just read this with joyfulness and they declared this. Do that for a month. Tell me about it a month from now, how that went. Any takers? Maybe so, I don't know. I think there's about seven truths that we can dig out of this passage that we'll look at. Seven doctrinal certainties in this psalm. First, of his, uh, first one I want to look at is God's position. God's position. Let's, let's look at verse 1 and 2 here. It says, I will exalt you, uh, my God and King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. So this truth of God's position, like King David is adoring his God. Almighty God is King of kings. To exalt something, to, to exalt is to set on high above all others. It's the expression of the greatest possible admiration. To exalt something. And, you know, believe it or not, we exalt things in our life. We exalt our, our, our relationships. We exalt our job. We exalt uh, our kids, maybe. But King David is saying that we should exalt, we should exalt the God of the universe. The phrase forever means that David's praise had no end. And he adds another ever on there. Forever and ever. And ever and ever and ever. You see that? Forever and ever. You know, he, 
he forbids the idea of putting a close on his praise. He's not, I'm not, I'm not going to be done praising God. Our praise of God is eternal. The God that we praise is eternal, and our praise of God is eternal. We praise, when we lift it, when we exalt God, that's the only activity that me and you, if you're a believer, that is the only activity that you will continue to do in eternity that you're doing now. Exalting God. That's the only thing. We pray now. We pray hard. We pray on our knees and we stretch our our faith up to God when we pray. But prayers, they're going to cease. If you're a believer, you're not going to pray in eternity. You're going to praise. You know, we believe today. But, you know, there's going to be a time where your faith is going to end. Your belief is going to end. But your praise will continue on. And when your faith ends, when you see Him face to face, you're going to crank up your praise. Past 11, you're going to crank it up. You know, we hope today. We have hope. Hope is such a big word. But one day our hope's going to end. And it's going to be reality. And our praise is going to continue for eternity. We praise Him every day. We exalt God every day, regardless of how our day looks, regardless of what's going on. When we're up and everything looks good, we praise Him. When we're down and things are dark, we still praise Him. Every day is a new opportunity to praise Him. I don't know what you got going on tomorrow. I don't know your your plans tomorrow or this week. But you have an opportunity to praise God this week. You have an opportunity to exalt Him this week. Maybe it's a bad week coming up. Maybe you got some bad things. You're going to have hard conversations, or, or you're going to, you know, you're going to have to do something very difficult, or you got a doctor's appointment coming up, or you got a bill that's due. You can still praise God in the midst of that every day. Tomorrow is a new day of praise. We praise Him not because we feel like it, but because He's good, and He is to be beheld when we lift Him up on our praise. So it's because of God's position that we praise Him daily. Next thing we look at is God's power. And you see that God's position is He is exalted, but then David kind of massages into this passage this idea of God's power. Second truth, it just rocks David here, is God's power. We see this in verse 3 through 6. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of, your, of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Our worship should be in some ways like the object of our worship. It should be great. Our worship shouldn't be mediocre. Our worship shouldn't be stale. If our worship is stale and mediocre, then the object of our worship must be stale and mediocre. And I would, and I can't leave that statement on this pulpit like that because God is not stale and mediocre. And our worship shouldn't be mediocre and stale and weak. But we should offer great praise, great praise for a great God because God is powerful. His power knows no bounds. There's no part of God's greatness which is not worthy of great praise. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said, Praise may 
said to be great when the song contains great matter, when the hearts producing it are intensely fervent, and when large numbers unite in grand acclaim. There is no chorus or hymn that is too loud. There is no band or orchestra too large. There's no psalm too lofty for the lauding and the exalting of the Lord of hosts because He is powerful. You know, while God is great, David recognized that no one can fathom. He says none can fathom. No one can fathom His great power completely. When we contemplate and we think about when the immensity of our triune holy God, we find ourselves surrounded almost by unknowable wonders. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 11. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Paul just says, Oh, oh. When he starts, oh, when he starts a phrase with, oh, that's not him. Uh, oh, he's not saying, hmm. It's, 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 it's the weight of what he's thinking here that he, he's trying to pack it into a phrase in a sentence. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom knowledge of God. Because God's power is amazing. When we understand what we can, we're challenged to pass along what we know to the next generation. Well, love how God's powers kind of combine with the fact that we're to, to commend God's power to one, from one generation to the next. Why do I know about God's greatness? The previous generations proclaimed it and lived it and they passed it on to me. That's my job for the generation coming behind me is to point them towards the grandeur of our God and commend His ways to them. And lift him up on high so that the next generation will know. And the generation after that will know. Praise God for Awana right now. We're, uh, we're, we're pointing the attention as we speak. Right now as I speak. Right now we're pointing the attention of those young people to the greatness of God. Right now. We're commending God and His greatness to the next generation. We're being obedient. God would have us do that. Brian over there with the youth right now, he's doing the same thing. We're commending God's power specifically to those younger generations. We're, we're telling them of his, of his mighty works, of His wondrous acts. As parents, we are to praise God before our children. We're to remind them of His ways. We're to remind them of how He has worked in the past. Or to explain them God's greatness. Each generation is to catch this. Each generation coming up is to catch the praises from the last. It's like there's an, an echo of your praise. The, the older generation in this building right now. Your praise needs to be ringing in this room. It needs to be echoing in this place. So that the young people coming up will get it. Will grab it. Will embrace it. Will lift it up. So it echoes to the generation after them. That's the biblical duty of every generation of Christians to see to it. I'm not going to rest until I see that this happens, that the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. He intends for the older saints to teach the newer ones to think and to trust and obey and rejoice. 
You know, verse 4, it talks about, um, it doesn't say merely teach His works, it says commend your works to another. That means we're to pass along our praise to them, commending the, the attractiveness of God. Not only educate them, but have them focus on exaltation. Because you can understand some things about God and not exalt God. We need to pass that on to our kids. Understanding of God and the exaltation of God. If teachers and parents do not exalt God in their teaching, they cannot pass it along to the next generation. Dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching about God, whether at home or in church, it does damage to our kids. It says one thing about God and then portrays another. That's not commending His glorious acts to the next generation. It's inconsistent. It says God's great, but it teaches that He's not at the same time. The aim of all education of knowledge of God is exaltation. I mean, why would we tell somebody about God and not desire them to exalt God? We tell somebody about Jesus so they'll worship Him. It's a reason uh, worship doesn't exist. That's a reason that missions does exist because we go to people that have never heard the name of Christ and we tell them, we educate them of our great gospel that we live by so they in turn will exalt Christ in their life. And we go to tell them so they can exalt. So they in turn can pass that exaltation on to the next generation in their community. Be it across the street or around the world. You know, our, you know, we want to see young people radically surrendered to Jesus, radically committed to the cause of His kingdom. The next generation, we want to see them be the ones to plow forward with the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, you look at what's going on in our culture. You look at what our kids are inheriting in this nation. Oh God, would... May it be said of them that they held fast to the truth of the gospel no matter how shaky it was around them. May that be said of my kids. May they get that from from you, from me, as we commend them to exalt Christ. Verse 5 gives us one way to make sure we stay fresh in our walk with Christ so that we can commend God's work to the next generation. It's through this idea of meditating on all of God's wonderful works. Meditating. Thinking on it. Pondering on it. I read something one time, the author writes, the constant buzz of TV, movies, magazines, videos, CDs, and radio and the internet is like a million tractor beams hitting me all at once so that my little starship can never escape some silent part of the galaxy where I can just ponder on the stars and the one who made them all. Not only do we just exalt and want want the generation coming behind us to exalt, but we can just rest and just think. We can just meditate. Meditation, I think, maybe is something we've lost. Or it's not something we practice. When's the last time you've meditated on God? When's the last time? And I'm not talking about crossing your legs and mm, like we see that in movies and like it gives us a portrayal of meditation. It's just, that's not what it's talking about here. That's spending time on God's truth and just letting it 
do backflips in your brain all day and just letting it pong around in your heart all day until it curves out those rough edges in, in the deepest parts of who you are. Till it bangs on every side of who you are. It just rolls around in you because you've just been meditating on it. Marinating on it. Like when people say, I'm going to marinate on that. Yeah. Marinate on God's greatness and His truth and His words. I think there's three main objectives to biblical meditation. To think about what God is like, to remember what He's done, and to contemplate on what He's said. Jot that down next time you consider meditation. It will renew your mind so that you can think and act more like Christ. So we see these, these instructions not only in, these, in this exaltation of this psalm. Next thing we see, I think, is uh, God's personality. This third truth that we can pull out of this psalm. God's personality is found in, it speaks of this in verse 7 through 9. And in verse 17, they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So God is good, God is righteous, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. We ought to all say amen on that one. That God is gracious. He's gracious to me. He's compassionate to me. He's slow to anger. Amen. Right there. He's slow to anger. Man, sometimes if, if he wasn't, I would he would be punting me through goalposts left and right. I mean, it would be it would be messy. It would be bad. It would be the same for you too. But he's slow to anger and he's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He is compassionate on those who he's made. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. In this section of this psalm that we're looking at, David seems to describe the multifaceted beauty of God's personality. Goodness. Righteousness. He's gracious. He's compassionate. Rich in love, good to all, righteous and loving. <clears throat> These attributes, I think, help us see what kind of God He is and how He deals with people. You know, we talked about this morning about giving, you know, just everything we have, just giving our best to God. But when you read stuff like this, we see that God gave His best to us. When you start describing God like that, that's your God that you are beholding, that you're exalting, you don't get any better than that. And He essentially comes into the room and He, he breaks into pieces for us, gives His best for us. This is how God deals with us. See, verse 7 tells us to celebrate and joyfully sing praise to Him because of who He is. Because of God's personality, we are to celebrate His attributes. Next thing we'll look at is God's preeminence. God's preeminence. This fourth element I want to pull out of here is God's preeminence in verse 10 through 13. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of your glory, of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving toward all He has made. The main point in this section here is, is God's preeminence. It's not that He's just important or even prominent. So when something's preeminent, it's important and prominent. You put those together, they're preeminent. Did I lose you? 
Basically, he's preeminent. Basically, he is over everything because he made everything. He's not just over everything, but he put it all together and then he's over it. Does that make sense? That's big stuff. God's preeminent. Of all creation, we'll praise him and his saints. That's you and I. We'll extol him as number one in our lives. Ultimate preeminence. Number one, first place, champion of our heart is Jesus. And we throw everything we have on our king because he has no rivals in our heart because he's preeminent. And we seek to have God preeminent in our lives because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's our king. He's our friend. We should live in light of this fact. We praise him for the works that he's done around us. I mean, you can see the works that he's done around us. Praise him for that. Because he's over all that. He's preeminent over that. Praise him for what he's done inside of you. One of the greatest miracles you'll ever experience. And some people are like, well, I've never seen a miracle. One of the greatest miracles, and it happens around here all the time, is the simple miracle of salvation. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. And we see miracles happen around this place all the time. That a dead lifeless heart in the chest of a sinner, that rock stone heart would be removed and a soft, tender heart of flesh would be placed in it. That is a miracle. If you're hearing my voice tonight and that's your testimony, praise God for the work that He's done inside of you. And when we see that, when we see somebody coming to, to faith in Christ, praise Him for what we see around us, happening all around us. We praise Him for His preeminence in our lives. We want to tell others about the glory of His kingdom, the preeminence of His kingdom. And we, you know, when we speak freely of God's might, we talk about, it says, all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. All, everyone. You know, David is saying that there's this direct link between our heart and our tongue. We speak what is in our heart. Some people really love to talk about sports. Others are families and what are parties or, you know, there's cruising the coast going on. You hear a lot of talk about cars. Nothing, nothing really wrong with that. We talk a lot about football and stuff like that. But I think David's kind of pulling this idea that there's a, a link between the things that come out of your mouth and your heart. When someone likes to talk about their, their lawn or their house and more than they express and exalt in who Christ is in their life. I think there's a disconnect there. There's a problem there. People want to talk about money and the weather. We just talk about what we hold dear. Proverbs chapter 16. There's no slide. I'm just going to read it to you. A wise man heart. A wise man man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. See, hearts are set on wisdom and praise. Our mouths speak accordingly. That's what David's saying here. That's what, that's what he's pulling out here. That's what he's expressing in his heart as he's, as he's wrapping his life around this psalm and as he's delivering it to us. Thousands and thousands of years later, we sit in this, in this room talking about this psalm. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, challenges us to guard our heart for it's the spring of life. See, David is rec reckoning this within himself and he's you know, encouraging, he's exhorting us to do that as well. 
when we talk about how great God is, when you start beholding how great God is, you start getting those truths, and as they rattle around in your heart, as they pong around in your life, and as you meditate on those, something's bound to come out of your mouth about that. Is that the hardest thing for you to do? Talk to your co-workers or your, your neighbors about, about God? You know, I think that earlier I said that if we were to take this psalm and read it like the ancient Israelites did three times a day, they recited this three times a day, and, and it was like medicine, essentially, for their soul when they did that. I think if you were to make a practice of doing something like that, if you were to speak this psalm out loud in your heart and your life, and, and, and just think, I think your life would be totally different a year from now if you did that every day for a year. I think if, if some, some of us maybe took a, took a hiatus, and we were gone for a couple of months, and we came back, and you started doing this, we would probably say, even though we've known you really well for a long time, We've seen you interact with others. We've, we have lunch with you. We enjoy hanging out with you. And our, our families get together sometimes. I think you would be different. Because these words would be rattling around in your heart. And I think the things that you speak would be different too. Because we start beholding God. And we start doing what David's instructing us to do. It's like, like get those words, when you meditate on them, they're going to come forth and out of your mouth. A spring is going to flow. We're going to talk about it. We're going to open our mouths. If our hearts were full of God, then our tongues wouldn't be able to stop talking about Him to others. I just believe that. I think think there's room in my heart for more of Scripture, for more of God, for more exalting, for more of lifting Him up. So, you know, I'm just stepping on my toes up here. If you just give me that, you know, just a little room to do that for a minute. As I'm exulting in this, as I'm reading this, as I'm talk, we're talking together here about this. There's a definition of evangelism, and I think you might like it. Maybe you can jot this down. Uh, one person said, evangelism is what spills over when you bump into someone. I mean, you think about the what's rattling around in, in the cage of your the carbon ribs that you have. What's going on in your chest and the deep parts of who you are. If you've just been bottling up Scripture and the greatness of God, you bump into someone and say, Hey, good to see you. It's just going to come out. Your cup's so full that when you bump into somebody, it gets on them. Just to, and this was funny because today at lunch, my, my daughter had to, she fixed her little glass of sweet tea. And it, it's one of those times where you could like hold it upright and you could see the ice still like, you know, it's climbing out. And, and I turned and I bumped her and she got tea on the floor and on her foot. And she's like, oh. And I thought, there it is right there. We bumped into each other and it, and it, it spilled out. It, it got on us. You're so full of God's greatness. You're so full of His Word and His life. And when you bump into somebody, they're going to be like, Whoa, what's, what's all this? You got it on me. And I'm not sorry. 
Because you need that on you. It's like, when are we going to just get it all over? When are we going to just gonna just be so full that we show up in a room and we just shake it off like a wet dog and it gets over everybody? And who likes that? Not, not a whole lot of people, right? Like, just calm down. We're just... We can just get together and not talk about that right now, right? Can we? Can we do that? Rod, can you just calm down a little bit? You're a little fanatical. I'm sorry, I'm just so full. When I bump into you, he's going to get on you. Because this, this, this amazing God, he came to me when he should have just opened up the pits of hell and said, there's what you need, there's what you deserve. That's a rightful place for you. It's not what he did. That's not what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches otherwise. That God came to us. And he loved us. And he opened the door of faith in our hearts so we could know him. Because if he didn't do that, you would not know him. Because on your own accord, you don't want anything to do with him. And he came to you and he softened your heart. And he saved you. And if you're a child of God, then tonight your future is secure. And this God that David spinned about thousands of years ago is your God. And He's done something to you on the inside and it just explodes on the out. Someone said, if Christians praise God more, the world would doubt Him less. I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. Maybe that's true. If people who confess Christ as Savior actually praised Him more, then maybe the world, the watching world around us, maybe they would doubt Him less. Because they would see the action of praise in our life and they would see the truth of our declaration from our mouth and they would say, maybe you got something there. But there's this word that has been tossed around for generations. And it's, it's a, I think it's probably a, a, a rightful indictment on us. And that's just hypocrite. You say that you know God. You say that you love Him, that you worship Him. But I don't really, I look at you and I don't really, I don't know. I don't know whether or not to doubt you or doubt who you say you're following. I think if God was preeminent in our heart, it would show in our actions. So David is just, just coming at us with different angles of these truths. The next thing we can look at is God's provision. The next facet of this psalm we can look at is God's provision from verse 14 through 16. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And as we follow this section of, you know, talking about unlimited power and the preeminence of God, we can emphasize God's provision. He takes care of us. This awesomely powerful God also is tender and He extends His hand and, and we as the psalmist said in 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was a kid, I heard that and I thought, that doesn't make sense. That's 
the Lord's my shepherd and I don't want him? But, but I understood it wrong. The Lord is my shepherd and because of him, I lack nothing. There's no want in my heart. And God is a providing God. He extends his hand. He provides. I mean, we need to, we need to rest on this truth. He upholds those who fall. You know, I think a lot of us feel like sometimes we're falling. We need to see God's cushion under us. When you see His hand, that, that as, as we think we're falling, we're not falling. Because God is right there and He will catch you. will not let you fall headlong. You're not going to crash your face into the dirt. Because He's going he's to catch you. He's going to hold you. He's going uh, to cushion you to safety in, in His arms. Because He's a provider. You know, maybe you're bowed down with the weight of your problems, your difficulties, your finances, your family, your, uh, I don't know, your career. Maybe you just feel like that's just waiting on you. I think God can uphold you. I think He can lift you up. You're not going to fall apart when you're, when you're embracing, when you're beholding God. Because in the midst of any horrible trial... You can rest in Him. And I see this all the time when I travel and I see when, I'm, when I meet different Christians in very hard places in the world. Like, like in China, you meet Christians that, um, man, those guys are, they've been arrested multiple times. You know, they're trying to figure out how to f- find out where the bugs are in their house because they think the government's listening in. They've been, and, and every day it's a struggle. But you see their faith and you're just like, wow, how do I get that faith? They just rattle around the truths of who God is in their heart. And they can walk tall and they can walk strong in in who He is as their provider. God's going to provide a way. God's going to provide Himself for them when they need it. He's going to take care of us. You know, let's be honest. Let's be realistic. We talked about something this this morning, but this world is a tough place. It's hard. It's hard to... It's hard to exist. You're, some of y'all are barely hanging on, and tomorrow you're just going to barely hang on again. Sometimes we just need to take shelter in the fact that God's our provider. If you're in Him, everything's going to be okay. Matthew twelve twenty says, A bruised reed He will not break, a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. No matter how bent and bruised and barely flickering you get, because of who He is, it's going to be okay. He doesn't willingly withhold any good thing from His kids, from His children. Think about that. We're His kids. I love my kids. I got four kids, and I, you know, it's pretty much a circus at my house all the time. It really is. You know, people are like, "Where? Oh yeah, my wife's got the circus folk today," and. Call them the Fantastic Four or the Carnival Workers. Or, I mean, it's just crazy all the time. And I love my kids. And I don't want to... I mean, if they're hungry, and I'm not going to be like, no, you can't have an apple today. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But, but we do sometimes think that that's how God operates with us. Now, if my kids say, Daddy, I want to eat Skittles all day today, I'm like, that's a bad idea. You're not going to have that. I know what they need. And see, God knows what we need. We need. We're His kids. And He's not going to withhold what we need. 
And maybe you feel like God has just taken a break in your life. He's gone on vacation. He's been aloof for decades in your life. But maybe you just need to get to the point tonight where you say, well, you know what? God knows what I need. I just need more of Him. We, you know, we, want, we we got this laundry list of problems that we, we want God to take care of. And sometimes God's like, look, problems are here today and gone tomorrow. You need me. You don't need me to fix those details right now. You need more of me so you can trust me in the midst of those details right now. Sometimes the greatest blessing we'll ever experience is not God pulling us out of a valley, but realizing that God is right next to us in the midst of the valley. Everything else has deserted us in the valley. Even my shadow's gone. But I feel like God is closer than my skin in the valley. On the other side of that valley, you're stronger for that. You're better for that. The next deeper, darker valley that comes your way, you'll be able to stride through. Because you realize that God, your provision, has provided Himself. And that's exactly what you need. And He won't stop providing that. He's not, that's, that's an abundant resource. That is the most abundant resource in the universe, God. And we need more and more and more of that each and every day. And He's got a supply that's just, just dishing out Himself. Do we really want that? And so that's when, like, when David starts, like, telling, like, the Lord uphold those who fall, and he, he, that his eyes look to the, like, he's a providing God. And it's good to know that God is providing. David praises him for his open hand. I like when writers of Scripture describe God in these ways. His open hand. God takes his hand and opens. He opens it completely to us. And His hands are full of good things that we need. When we're wiped out, stressed out, maxed out, He wants us to look to Him. And when we look to Him, His hands are open. He won't stomp on us when we're down. He'll lift us up because His hands are open. He won't backhand us and tell us to shoo, but He'll embrace us and tell us to come close, my child. He'll treat us tenderly, gently, and He'll give us exactly what we need. Because that's my God. He's a God of provision. That's David's God. And that's what he's in, exalting here. We can trust him. God's presence, the next thing we can look at, the next anchor we can pull out of this passage is God's presence. The Lord is near to all who call on him. And to all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. What more do we need right now than the presence of God? What more do we need right now in our church, right now in this very moment, than the presence of God? What more do you need right now in your life, in your marriage, in your, in your, just every day? Tonight, when you're laying in bed, what more do you need before you go to bed than the presence of God in your life? And God gives us, his, gives us that. While He's the King of the universe, exalted on high, He is so very near. You ever feel like God's further than the moon? He's not further than the moon. He wraps around you like a winter coat. He's close. His presence is real. You ever feel like alone sometimes? 
And when we read this psalm, David reminds us that we're never alone. He says he's near to all. Sometimes maybe we feel like God's mad at us or that we've been disqualified from his, from his grace or His presence because of our sin, but that's not true. That humbles us and we come crawling into His presence sometimes. And the God who ran down the road and to, to welcome that younger brother that ran off, that dusty trail that kicked up behind, behind the father's feet as he ran and embraced the son who ran away. He does that continually with us. We try to do our own thing sometimes. We try to run off. And you know, even in our heart, essentially, we get to the place sometimes where we kind of shake our fist at God maybe. But he's not very far. You can't get too far away from him. I mean, you're going to run. Some of you might be trying to run now in your life in some areas. But if you belong to Him, if you're His child, you're going to run into Him. You're going to crash into Him. (laughs) Because there He is, right there. And He's near. He's near in His truth. He's near in His goodness. Call upon Him in truth, the psalmist says. And to recognize that God is my only help. Jesus is my only way. We've called on Him in truth. If we're, if we're a member of God's family, the conversion, we've enjoyed this privilege of relationship with a loving Father. He'll always be, be near to you because you came near to Him in truth. To call upon Him in truth means that you're willing to be honest and open with Him. His presence is truth. His presence is near. It means you're not living a lie or just going through the motions in your spiritual life, but you're walking in truth and you're walking with God in His presence. You call on Him in truth, He will fulfill your desires and hear your cries for help. John Calvin said, Oppressions and afflictions make man cry, and cries and supplications make God hear. Make Him hear. Maybe you can change that word hear with a different spelling and say, make him, makes him hear. Because we, we feel like God's far away sometimes. But in our oppressions and our afflictions, we cry. And when we cry, God is here. And when we cry to Him, God hears. And He's near. His presence is near. Next thing we'll look at is God's preservation. It's good to know that God preserves His kids, His children, His followers. This, uh, I mean, it's clear in this passage right here. The Lord watches over all who love Him, but the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise His holy name forever and ever. God preserves the saved, and He will judge those who are not saved. You know, honestly, we could skip over this, and it probably would be a little less disturbing, because this this truth here is a little comforting, but at the same time, it's frightening. It is for me. It's frightening to me. Because those of us who have been born again, who are saved from our sins, we've been forgiven, we have confidence in our faith and our relationship with God, we've been brought near by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He died in our place for our sins, so we would be brought near. And there are many out there that have not been brought near. It kind of gives us this, this push to, you know, us who are being preserved 
gives us this nudge to exalt publicly and let people hear. Let people know that you know they need a Savior. They need to hear the message of Jesus. They need to believe in the name of the Son of God. So they'll have eternal life, just as John says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If we were not saved, if we, were, um, if we are saved, we will survive and live forever with Him. Not based on what we can do, but based on what Jesus did for us. He preserves us. He made a way for us to come to Him and He preserves us. I think it's upsetting to me that while God watches over believers, He will destroy those who insist on going their own way. That gives us great motivation to, help, to tell people about Jesus. Salvation is this free gift that He came to us and He gave us. It should be on our lips to those who are far from Him. You know, it should be something that we embrace, but it should also be a warning to us as well. You know, if you're in here and, you're, and you feel like maybe you're, you know, not at, at peace, you're not right with God tonight, you know, don't leave tonight without making sure that that's settled. Because all this exalting and beholding of God that we're talking about tonight, that might not be true for you. And it can be true for you. We start talking about God's position and how awesome He is. We want to praise Him daily, but that might not be true for you. Talking about God's power and how we commend His works to our kids, to the next generation, to the next generation. But if His works have not impacted your life personally on a personal level, then it's not true for you. And maybe you don't know God's personality. You, haven't, you can't celebrate His attributes and His characteristics because He is not residing with inside of you. You don't know His provision because the one thing that He wants to provide for you tonight is Himself in salvation and you've batted His hand away. You need to know His presence in a real way. You need to seek Him tonight. Say, Lord, I need you. I hear this guy up here talking about beholding you. And I don't know you. I think that's a great place for you to be right now. If that's you, that's a good place for you to be. Because that's the step towards beholding God. That's the step you need to embracing God. To say, here I am, Lord. Everything that I am, here I am. And tonight, I want to behold you, my God. If you're a Christian in this place tonight, just think about how great our God. Just behold our God. Just behold Him. We're going to have a time of prayer and response and we'll move into a time of uh, global intercession. And I want to encourage us to pray. Specifically, we'll pray for uh, individuals in our faith family right now who are, who are abroad and who are in different places and they're doing ministry, gospel ministry. Have men, uh, Charlie and Butch and Scott are in South Dakota. Pastor Tony and Butler, they're in Brazil. Um, we're going to have a time of response where you can come. I'll be down here. You can come to me. I'll pray with you. We'll, we'll go that for a little while, and then we'll move into a time of intercession where we'll pray for these men in our faith family who, have, who are going out. And even as we speak right now, they're 
uh, you know, in the trenches of gospel ministry. And I'll, I would also encourage you to uh, pray for a few individuals that that aren't far from home right now, but they are, you know, they're dealing with a, some medical things. They're dealing with some things that I think we need to put our attention towards. And uh, for one is Michael Gilbert. Uh, many of you know that he was injured in a pretty serious accident. Um, things are, you know, kind of looking on the up. But, you know, we still want to come before our God and we want to intercede on his behalf. And also Sarah and Derek Pruitt there, uh, you know, she's pregnant with twins. And um, the doctors are really kind of watching close what's going on in that situation. I mean, I really don't have to go into too many details that, with that. God knows what's going on, and we can intercede for them. So first of all, we'll just have a time of response. I'm going to pray. Uh, I'll be down here to, to receive you, to pray with you. If you're going to join our church, maybe if you want to come for the first time and say, you know what, I'm not a Christian. I can't behold this God you're talking about because I don't know Him, and I need to know Him. It would be my joy and my honor to introduce you to Jesus and, and to have you receive Him tonight. Maybe you are a Christian. You just need to come and pray that, that you would do more of this beholding of your God. So let's stand and let's pray and let's be obedient to how God leads us. Father, we come to you now, Lord. We, we just worship you. God, we just behold you. We exalt you, God. All of us in this place, in this room tonight, God, we need a touch from you. We need more of you. Lord, some of us are just tired, just in the daily grind of just life. And you are just, you feel like gone, like on vacation, or you're just aloof in our life, God. But Lord, I pray that that Christian, that believer who knows that they're your child, that they would just spend some time just letting your truth just rattle around in their heart and their mind tonight. They would just behold you. Maybe for the first time in a long time, God, they would come before you and just be in your presence, just reminding themselves of how great you are, how magnificent you are. And they would just behold you. God, if there's a person in this place that doesn't know you, I pray that you would open the door of faith in their heart. And I pray that they would come, receive you as their blessed Savior and friend and God. They would throw their life upon you and you would save them. And from here on out, Lord, their life would be totally different. So God, we just want to spend some time being obedient to you and honest with you. We look to you now, God. Have your way. Do your work in our hearts right now. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.